Well, once again, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Extra Point Podcast. My name is Todd Stiles. I'm one of the pastors here at First Family Church and want to welcome you to this episode. Glad you've joined us. The Extra Point Podcast is an opportunity on a pretty much weekly basis to um, further examine the text that we looked at last Sunday uh, and bring some further observation, deeper insight, um, even more application. And we're going to do that this week as we look at the issue of God's sovereignty or the question that we posed to uh, ourselves Sunday in thinking about suffering and how it's the conduit to holiness, not just the consequence of it, but this idea that that all things are ordained by God. And so the question we ask ourselves and wanted to make sure everyone wrestled with was this, does God ordain all things? Now, the answer is most decidedly yes. Without a doubt, we stand on and hold to that truth. But I think even in just voicing that truth and affirming that God does indeed ordain all things, sometimes we're left to wrestle with how that plays out in uh, our real life on this earth. Admittedly, we are in territory that's um, at best difficult to navigate, and many a person, have uh, they have found themselves at their wits' end trying to explain some of these um, things that Paul would say are the unsearchable ways of God. The Old Testament would say that his ways are higher than our ways. And so we are in territory that's, um, uh, it's deep waters, but we should not be afraid to at least, at the highest level possible, affirm what we know the Bible teaches, and that is that, yes, indeed, God does decree, ordain, um, He governs all things. His will is the will that will be accomplished. Now, just before I bring you some verses that I think lean into this very well from a very practical point of view, which is which we find them in Proverbs 16, let me just ask you the um, the opposite question: Do you think God could be anything other than the all-governing, all-sovereign? all-ordaining God and still be God? I think that is a question that may be uh, more worth wrestling with, shall we say. In other words, if you think you can have a God that the Bible uh, describes as God and still have Him less than one who ordains, governs, and decrees all things, I would suggest to you that you really don't have the God of the Bible. You have something far less than that, perhaps a God of your imagination. And so while we would admit that the simple truth and the phrase that that God ordains all things can be a bit rattling, to, to suggest that we believe anything less than that is to leave us with something other than God. Quite frankly, there is no other option. There's no other legitimate option that fits the revealed character of God and the revealed Word of God, then simply acknowledging that God indeed does ordain, decree, and govern all things. A few scriptures that would give us tremendous insight into this truth from a very practical standpoint would be the verses that that clearly teach us that 
God knows the very hairs of our head. He knows the whereabouts of the sparrow. These are both in Matthew chapter 10. It's clear he knows when rulers rise and when rulers fall, according to Proverbs 21. And according to Proverbs 16, which I'll read many of these verses for you in a moment, he even knows the outcome of dice. Here's Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So do you see how the idea of dice or casting lots is kind of portrayed as this random opportunity? And yet, from God's perspective, it's not random at all. Solomon here said it's every decision is from the Lord, indicating God's will, His sovereignty, His ordination, and His decreeing is at the heart the ultimate matter at hand. So while your mind and heart are still turning and churning, let me read just a few more verses that, again, will come at this from a very practical way and help you realize that what may appear to you to be somewhat random or just kind of happenstance is the truth is the ultimate governing and ordaining factor behind all of it is God. Here's Proverbs 16.1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Here's Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Here's Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 16, 11, A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. And let me remind you from the New Testament, I think it's the book of Colossians, where we are clearly taught that it's by Christ that the entire universe consists or holds together. The stark reality that the Bible teaches is that from the most minuteness of decisions to the entire consistency of the universe, it is held together by our Trinitarian God. And so we are right and safe and correct to say that all things are ordained by God, that ultimately the decreeing, governing, ordaining, sovereign action of God is what holds this universe and all of its decisions together. He is the ultimate um, reason and purpose and the, and the final, the ultimate one, who is ordaining and moving all things to his desired end. Well, two more questions came our way from yesterday's review of 1 Peter, uh, not only in regards to suffering and the ordination of all things by God, but two more questions. This first one um, goes like this. This person asks, The word glory is mentioned several times in the book of 1 Peter, both in relation to God and what believers will receive at Christ's second coming. I'm specifically thinking of 1 Peter 1.8. Can you expound on what you understand the word glory to mean here? And I'd be glad to. It is mentioned several times in conjunction, of course, each time with the idea of suffering. And the contextual indication is that this is what follows humiliation. So there are two words in play in Peter. It's the idea of humiliation or humbly submitting uh, humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, and then, of course, exaltation. And we see this, of course, with Christ. He 
experienced the humility of the cross and the suffering of the cross, and then he experienced the exaltation, referring not only to the resurrection but the ascension and being at the right hand of the Father. And so there's three words that I think really entail this idea of glory. It is the uh, humiliation, and then there is the um, suffering, and then there's the exaltation, or we could use the word vindication. And in each of the cases in Peter's writings, this vindication or this exaltation is what occurs later. It's a future concept. It's what will occur at a later time. And so the idea of glory, to answer the question most succinctly, is that God will ultimately have the final word against sin and for his saints. And this is why we're instructed in several other epistles to wait and to look for his return and to pray that his return would be quick. So yes, God will have the ultimate final word against sin and for his saints, and that word is the return of Jesus, the gathering of his people, and then, of course, the restoration of all things. We could sum this up with the idea of the consummation of the kingdom. We know it has been inaugurated, so there's an already not yet kind of idea, even in Peter's use of the idea of suffering and glory. Those concepts are in play again, the already not yet And he uses the idea of glory to indicate to us that there is a day coming in which Christ returns. He calls it the day of visitation. And at that moment, God will have the final word against sin and for his saints. That's what it means to share in the glory of Christ. And then one more question that came in, I want to address this. This person asks, is the reason the American church Uh, lacks holiness because of our general lack of suffering as a society. And they're asking a question, I think, uh, with sincere curiosity, that could the reason that um, we seem to lack holiness, generally speaking, in the American church, could that reason be that we have really not experienced much suffering? Now, of course, understand where this question came from. We Um, made the strong emphasis yesterday that one of our takeaways is that holiness in the midst of hostility is not just something that is a resulting issue. In other words, we're not only experiencing suffering because of holiness. And then the suffering in 1 Peter, of course, is primarily uh, used to talk about a persecution because of righteousness sake or suffering for the name of Christ. Um, That's not only happening because of our holiness. Uh, Peter's understanding is that we should not be surprised at fiery trials, that it is to this lifestyle we've been called because holiness is also the conduit to holiness. And so in light of that, this person asks the question, could this be the reason that the American church, as a general rule, lacks holiness because we just really haven't experienced much suffering? And I would say that she's onto something and and that she is, sadly, um, she's correct. Um, it may not typify every church or every Christian. Uh, it may be something more of a general observation. But I would say that there is a, a, an excessive pursuit of, um, of comfort and of developing anything that would make life easier. And as a result, we probably have... Um, avoided at all cost difficult things and hard things. Now, 
let's be quick to say that there's nothing inherently wrong with using creativity and uh, agency and ability and imagination uh, to produce and invent. There's nothing wrong with that. Finding more effective or efficient ways to do things, that's not inherently evil. Likewise, we shouldn't think it's more spiritual to try to produce suffering, asceticism and lifestyles that think we can garner a, a corner on the market of spirituality by pursuing some type of, of a, you know, low-level, extreme, difficult lifestyle. Uh, th- that's not necessarily biblical either. So there's some balance to consider here. And I think I want to focus in on the word excess, because though we don't want to produce suffering and persecution, the truth is we necessarily shouldn't try to avoid it at all costs. Peter does, in, uh, he instructs us to make sure that we see it as not a strange thing in Christ's call to discipleship. He lays it out for us. We're to bear our cross, uh, that we have a price to pay. We should count the cost. And so I think the balanced approach here is to realize that suffering is uh, part of following Jesus. Persecution comes with the territory. And so though we don't try to produce it, we shouldn't necessarily go to excessive lengths to avoid it. And therein again lies the word I want to focus on. It's this word excess. And this would be a word that I think describes much of our American culture. It is a culture of excess. Sacrifice is not a word we like. Um, We could find this to be true in a number of metrics, whether it be uh, church giving, whether it be uh, in other aspects of our lifestyle, our usage of time. Sacrifice just isn't a favorite American uh, word. Um, And yet, uh, it's one of the things that must be part of every Christian's vocabulary is that sacrifice really is the name of the game. But in a culture where excess is the name of the game, then you can see why we're avoiding the primary avenue through which holiness is produced. In fact, James would say that maturity comes through trials. And so if we're in a culture that's doing everything it can do to avoid trials and to um, create instead excessive comfort and ease, you can see why the end result would be less mature people. The end result would be less holy people because we're doing all we can to avoid the very thing that actually would bring about maturity that God would use to grow us. Perhaps this simple phrase might um, help this to kind of stick in your brain today. Excess will lead to a spiritual abscess. And none of us want that as our diagnosis, do we? We don't want to have an abscess in our heart, an infection, a, an open wound sort of thing. But that's what excess will lead to because it does not build or or strengthen or edify. Um, it only blinds and, and rots. And so I just would encourage you, uh, do what you can to instill and um, uh, live a life of sacrifice, not in an ascetic way that thinks you're earning points or gaining ground on the holiness on your own effort or merit, but more so with the attitude that when God 
ordains and allows and permits and decrees and governs uh, things in my life that are difficult, hard, that require endurance and perseverance that may be like suffering or persecution, I will not run from that. Instead, I'll simply endure faithfully under it because that is how God creates a holy people. It's not only at the end of hostility, but also through it. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Extra Point Podcast. It is Thanksgiving week 2022, and I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving this Thursday. Enjoy your family. Enjoy being with your friends. And our best wishes to you in this Thanksgiving season.